You are listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. To Faithful Men is a project that started in 2006 to digitize and preserve old sermon and study tapes of Elder Wally Flanagan, Elder Hassel Wallace, and Elder Mike Strevel. They were pastors and teachers, and they studied to teach and train up others to continue in the ways of truth. I am thankful to be able to provide you with these sermons and studies, and I hope they will be a blessing to you. There was an old Puritan, Joseph Elaine, who wrote a book called An Alarm to the Unconverted. And he, he uses this quibble that men sometimes rise against election. And he says, some will argue, well, if I'm an elect, I can live however I will. And I belong to Him. If I'm not, it doesn't matter what I do, I'd be damned. He says, perverse sinner, will you start where you should end? He says, argue your election from your conversion. Some might say, am I one of God's elect? Am I one of God's sheep? Do I belong to Him? Well, how can you know that? Uh, God's elect don't have, as someone said, a big E stamped on His head. They're the elect. And I can know that. I'm, the Bible says, make your calling and election sure. How can you know that you are one of the elect? Well, I can tell you, it's very simple. You are one of God's elect. You belong to God if the shepherd has come and found you and got you and brought you out of sin and degradation and a life away from God and He has brought you to yourself, my friends. That's the mark of an elect. Let no man say, well, I don't know if I'm an elect or not, so I don't know if I should repent of my sins or not. Listen, my friends, the prodigal son is the parable there for you. Because what God does, this is the true mark of God. What God does for a poor sinner when he is wallowing in the quagmire of sin and degradation in this world, you know what God does to him? At some time in his life, he comes into his right mind. And he comes to this knowledge of, what am I doing in this pig pen? I don't belong in this pig pen. I know where there are better things. And he's talking about spiritually. There's nothing material there. The, the point is not material. Even though there were material things there. He says, I will go back to my Father. And I will tell my Father that I've sinned. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me just shovel the manure in the barn. And so he goes back. And the Father sees him coming from afar off. And he knows it's his son. And he goes out and he rushes out to meet him. And the son doesn't, doesn't even have an opportunity to fully express all that he's rehearsed in his mind. His father throws his arms around him, commands that the robe be put upon him and a ring be put upon him, and the fatted calf be killed. My friends, if you belong to God, God's going to make much ado about you. He's not going to, le- he's not going to let you, he's not going to let you stay in, in, in sin and degradation of this world. Not only that, If you go as an act of your will, even after you've tasted of the heavenly things, God's not going to let you stay there. Because not only does He have a staff, He has a rod. And God is not afraid to use His rod. And I dare say there's not a one of us here today 
who has not felt the sharp blows of God's rod upon him. Painful, yes, but oh, a sweet token of ownership. One who does not belong to God, they're not his, he'll let them go. And so it is said over there in that difficult passage in Hebrews chapter 6, where it says if someone has tasted of the heavenly things and he turns away, there, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and righteous indignation from God which shall destroy the adversary. But I'm, I'm glad he ends up in Hebrews chapter 6 by saying, but brethren, he says we're persuaded better things of you and of things that accompany salvation, even though we speak like this. God may in His providence let you wander off. He may in His providence let you have your way for a time. But what you will discover is once you've tasted the field of the shepherd, once you've eaten in His pasture, once you've drunk by His still waters, you'll find the other like the prodigal son. It'll be as, as the husks of corn fit only to feed to the pigs. And God will bring you to your right mind and you will come back. He will bring you back. But let's notice this one in particular. First, let's finish up here in John chapter 10. He says, he says to the Jews who didn't believe on Him, uh, in verse 26, He says, But you believe Me not, because you're not of My sheep, as I said unto you. There were some who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Some who repented of their sins and confessed their sins and were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But these did not. They did not receive His Word, nor do they receive His Word today. He says, you don't believe Me because you're not My sheep? Look at this. Verse 27. My sheep hear My voice. And I know them and they follow Me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. My Father which gave them Me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of My Father's hand. I and My Father are one. My friends, He says here, My sheep hear My voice. At some time during the life of the child of grace, no matter if he's wandering off in the most wicked sin, no matter if he's a publican, a traitor to his own people, a traitor to his nation, a greedy, money-hungry traitor, can you think of anything worse than a greedy, money-hungry traitor? You know, in Dante's Inferno, the man's, man's thing here, but I think he had a pretty good point. He, when he, when there was, there's hell, he had hell, inferno. And there were all these levels of hell, and, and based on how bad you were, as to what level you went to. And, and amazingly enough, after he got through, the first level of hell was the, uh, kind of the benevolent heathen. People who were heathen, they didn't love them, they didn't know Christ, but they weren't just wicked. They, they weren't too bad, they just kind of wandered around in the mist all the time. Then the next level was really interesting. The, the next lowest level before under them was your common sinners. Adulterers, murderers, people like that. You know who was in the lowest place of hell? In Dante's Inferno. And this is not scripture, of course. Who was in the lowest place of hell? Traitors. Judas was down there. 
in the lowest part of hell, traitors. And that's what these people were viewed as, traitors. What about, what about a sinner, whatever all these sinners were? A prostitute, someone who, who, who so vilely lives to, to make a living. And yet, Jesus has some of His children among them. And He is willing to rub shoulders with them. Why? Because they're His sheep. Some of them are. Now I'm sure when Jesus died on the cross, and after the period of Christianity passed away from that part of the world, there were still publicans and sinners. But among them, even among them, God had a people. And so, here's the imagery. You've got the sheepfold. The safety of the sheepfold. There's a hundred sheep there. One of them leaves the sheepfold. He goes astray. And he says, which of you having a hundred sheep? If you, if one of them went away, would you not go and leave the ninety and nine and go and take care of them? Now, how would you leave the ninety and nine? Would you just leave them to, to, uh, to the dangers of, of thieves and predators? That would not be a wise shepherd. Who would exchange 99 for one? Who would go out and seek one and, and to expose 99 to danger? No, he leaves them in the enclosure. He sees to it that they are secure. He sees to it that they are left to the hands of, of capable uh, overseers of some sort, whatever the imagery would be there. But he himself... He goes out and he finds that sheep. He does whatever is necessary to come to that sheep and make himself known to that sheep. And then he says he takes that sheep and he places it on his shoulder. The implication here is this sheep is wounded. The sheep is unable to, on its own power, to come back. And so it is, my dear friends, that every one of us is unable in and of himself to follow the shepherd. He must be brought. So the imagery of the next parable. Here's the lost coin. And, and one of the elements of that is, here's this coin, an inanimate object. It cannot cry out, Here I am. I'm under the couch. Find me. Oh no. He goes and sweeps the house. He will have what's his. And he'll do whatever it takes to have what's his. So is the love of the shepherd for the sheep. So is the love of that woman for what is what belongs to her. So is the love of the father to his child. All of these three pictures are there to show us the determination of God, the love of God, and the sovereignty of God that He will have His sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I know them. They know me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. They belong to me. And so, my friends, sometimes God finds His sheep like John the Baptist, still in his mother's womb. Sometimes God finds His sheep like the Apostle Paul, who was actively fighting against God. Oh, he is, he is a sad person who's actively fighting against God. Paul, Jesus said to Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the bricks, isn't it? It's hard for you to kick the cactus. 
I saw some cactuses out there in Arizona that you wouldn't want to kick. You wouldn't want to touch. He says, Harvey, sometimes he does them like the, the uh, thief on the cross. Even in the last minutes of their life, he savingly draws near to them. Each in God's own providential way, each for God's own purpose and whatever, whatever he has designed. But let, let this be a sure knowledge in your mind. God knows his sheep, and he will have his sheep. And we can rejoice in that, my friends, because, because of God's sovereign mercy, because of God's sovereign grace, he draws them to himself. Let us not be found to be fighting against that because it's useless. God will have his children. God will have his sheep. He may, he may smite them with a rod. He may, he may pick them up on his arm, on his back and carry them in his arms like a shepherd. Like a shepherd. He shall lead his flock like a shepherd and gently lead those that are with young. We read in the Old Testament. And so he leaves the ninety and nine. He doesn't leave them just to be neglected. And he goes out to get that one. That's you. That is you and me. If today we, we have seen ourselves to be sinners, know ourselves to be in great need of the Savior, know that we have not the ability in and of ourselves to save ourselves. Now, this afternoon, we shall take the Lord's Supper. And if you have this view of Christ in your mind, there will be no way that you can come to this table and eat and drink, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, unworthily. You will discern the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, it will be real to you. It will, it will have value to you. Because you believe that Jesus died for me. He died for my sins. You know, I was talking to Trey about this new movie, The Passion, you know, Mel Gibson thing. And... We, we are at a somewhat of a disadvantage in our day because we have made capital punishment so sanitary. I read just in, in, in uh, somewhere yesterday, newspaper I guess, that Utah has finally banned death by firing squad. There have been people in fairly recent memory who have chosen to be executed by firing squad. It's, it used to be a very common way to execute a criminal, a firing squad. They used, to, they used to hang criminals in public. People used to see this. And it was thought to be a deterrent. There have been people hanged right down here at the square at Ripley in, in the 20th century, early part of the 20th century. They were still hanging people on the square as a, as a way to... Well, we've, we've made all that sanitary, and that's, that's fine. I, I, I'm not against... I'm not against that in any way. But you know, we're at somewhat of a disadvantage because we don't know what crucifixion looks like. When we talk about the shepherd going to get his sheep, what does that mean? Does that mean that Christ takes up his staff and he takes a pleasant jaunt through the mountains and, and uh, observing all the beautiful scenery and and uh, finally he hears the faint bleeding of the sheep and he moves in that direction and, 
he picks up this sheep and carefully puts it on his shoulders and carries it back through the, the wandering valleys and the streams of the, of the mountains there. You know, the pastoral scenes that might be before us. Oh, my friends, what kind of a trip? What kind of a journey? What kind of an endeavor was it for Christ to go out and find His sheep? The first century Christian had some concept of that because they knew what crucifixion looked like. They saw how ugly it was. How painful it was. How sinister it was. And and it was not enough for Christ to just come into this sin-cursed earth and allow Himself to be stabbed or beheaded to, to experience some kind of a quick death, a more humane kind of death, and His blood would have been shed and the offering would have been made. But the Lord chose, and He knew this was coming. He told them before it happened, I'm going to Jerusalem and they are going to crucify Me. He told them that plainly before it ever happened. He knew where He was headed because He's God, of course. But God chose to experience not just death, This trek into the wilderness to find His sheep was not just a pleasant meandering through the the nice countryside. No, my friends, it was the path of the cross. And when people knew that Jesus had been crucified for their sins, they saw something of the magnitude of God's love. They saw something of the magnitude of God's determination to have them. That he would willingly endure that kind of a humiliating death. And as they heard the gospel story, and they heard about what Jesus did for them to go out and find them and to bring them in, it brought out in their souls the greatest determination to love God and serve God. And so, may it be in our day, even though we don't comprehend the horrors of crucifixion and 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 I, perhaps perhaps Mr. Gibson has well portrayed it, and there may be some benefit in that. But when Paul went out and preached, you know what he preached? He said, First Corinthians chapter two. He said, he said, when I came among you, I was determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He came preaching the cross. Why the cross? Why preach the cross? Because it was the epitome of the love of God for His sheep. It was not this pleasant trip through the mountains. No, it was a painful death to Calvary. And if we cannot see the love of God in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the painful suffering that He endured for me, then I'm sure all of the warnings of hell will not suffice. All of the terrors of judgment could not come together and make us want to serve God. My friends, it is only the deep and abiding love of God for sinners that will make a sinner turn from his sin and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be so in each of us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning for this parable that You told while You sojourned here on this earth. 
How did you told about leaving the comfort of the 99? And how that you left the glories of heaven, the comforts of sweet physical fellowship in the Godhead, and took upon yourself the form of human flesh and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Father, we thank You that our Lord Jesus would not only be willing to suffer any death at the hands of sinful man, but Lord, to suffer such a humiliating one, such a painful one. Lord, may it bring forth from each of our souls, from the depths of each of our souls, a great love and affection for Him who has died for us. He said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And so, Father, this day we adore you for loving the people from all eternity. Our Lord Jesus, we love you for coming into this sin-cursed earth and paying for our sins. Holy Spirit, we adore you this day for coming and making what the Lord Jesus did and the Father before the world ever began, real and sweet and vital to our hearts. Now, Father, behold us here today. If there be one here, Lord, who is wandering away, oh God, would You be pleased in Your mercy even this day to arrest such an one, to cause him to hate his sins, to cause him to see the glory of Christ and to turn and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of sins. And Lord, behold, all of us here, we confess to You, Lord, our wicked, our wicked tendency to wander. Lord, we sing the song, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. May that be the cry of each of our hearts even now. We ask in the sweet, wonderful name of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Also, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, please share it with others and help our ratings by giving us five stars and writing a review within your podcast app. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also.